Section 25 of Sir Francis Drake by Julian Corbett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 13 The Last Treasure Hunt, Part 2. In the autumn, Drake was summoned to court, and once there he carried all before him. Raleigh was in disgrace, Frobisher and Lord Thomas Howard paled again beside the new-risen sun, and ere long the realm was all astir with the growth of a kingly project. In February Parliament was summoned. As soon as it met it was asked for a grant of two hundred thousand pounds, and told that if it were voted the Queen was resolved to send Drake to sea to encounter the Spaniards with a great navy. So unprecedented was the sum, however, that the bill met with serious opposition. The admiral, who worthily sat for King Arthur's castle of Tintagel, supported the government with all the weight of his influence and eloquence. He served on all the public committees except that to which the bill for the suppression of the Puritans was referred, and on all others where he had a special or local knowledge. For the subsidy bill he did his best with a speech in which he graphically depicted the horrors of a Spanish conquest, and after debates which lasted eleven days, a very lengthy discussion as things went then, the bill was passed, and Drake was at once plunged into a mass of business relating to naval affairs and coast defence. But it was all too little to allay the pent-up impatience of his long disgrace. He could not wait a year, perhaps two, till Elizabeth and Philip had fully armed. He was burning to act. Panama, the virgin treasure-house of his desire, was still unsacked. Raleigh had nearly supplanted him, and from the first moment he came to court he began tempting his mistress again. In January 1593 he presented her with an account of his first romantic voyage, when from the little grove beside Pizarro's road he had seen and desired. But as though some presentiment of the end hung over her, she could not bring herself to let him leave her side, nor was it till the summer of 1594 that he prevailed. Then at last, so magnificent was Philip's deliberation, Drake persuaded Elizabeth how easy it would be to make a dash over the Atlantic for Nombre de Dios, throw a few troops across the isthmus to sack Panama, and be home again with all the wealth of Peru before the new armada could sail. It was, of course, to be quite a private adventure, but the Queen was to provide two-thirds of the capital. The rest was to be underwritten by Drake and Hawkins. She was also to lend six ships to escort the transports, and as the success of the undertaking depended chiefly upon the land forces, Drake was authorized to proceed to Holland and seek the consent of the States to the recall of the English veterans in their service. His mission was a failure, and it was but the first of a succession of disappointments. Voice after voice seemed to warn him of his doom, but nothing could shake his self-confidence. All the winter from his great house by the Dowgate, which had sheltered so many of the most famous of English warriors, he struggled with the difficulties that beset his preparations, and as the ring of his toil echoed in the ears of Philip's recruits, they deserted by hundreds for very terror of his coming. Lisbon itself was almost stripped of inhabitants. Ten thousand householders fled with their families in a panic, and those that remained sent away their wives and goods. 
the english spies declared that drake's name was more feared in spain than ever was talbot's in france and from the highest to the lowest there was no talk but of the coming of drake at home the magic of his name had no less power volunteers flocked to his flag in such numbers that he hardly had to press a man but for all their eagerness they were a sorry substitute for the tried campaigners of the low countries nor had he a norris to command and discipline the chickens of mars had quarrelled with him as they quarrelled with every one else and drake was a man even harder to reconcile than those turbulent knights another family only a degree less renowned supplied their place the commission of colonel-general was given to sir thomas baskerville the hero of slaus and bergen op Schoem, the first of the famous captains that make a halo for the name of sir francis vere at the head of but one hundred men he had already taught eight companies of the spanish old legion that they were no longer the finest infantry in the world and during a truce parma himself had embraced him proclaiming that no braver soldier served a christian prince on his staff were his brothers arnold and nicholas sir nicholas clifford was his lieutenant a band worthy to serve under the flag of drake but as the enterprise grew ripe the queen always half frightened at the ungovernable energy of her favourite engine again lost heart and not content with having set the caution of hawkins to drag upon it in may she refused to let them go at all the old fatal hesitation had once more seized her for two months they were compelled to lie idle consuming their resources and losing their men till early in july she had again plucked up heart and they were again told they might go with twelve chartered merchantmen and the six navy ships they at once hurried out of the thames to join the rest of their squadron at plymouth and while hawkins toiled to complete the ships for sea drake scoured the west country for supplies to set the force on its legs again by the end of the month they hoped to be ready when into the midst of their final preparations broke the news that penzance was in flames four spanish galleys supported by a fleet of forty sail had suddenly slipped across from brest to retaliate for drake's insults to the spanish coast and while baskerville flew westward to rally the country levies drake in a fury dashed out of plymouth with the ships that were ready it was too late the spaniards had heard their terror was at hand and having destroyed a few fishing villages hurried off faster than they came stung by the blow the spaniards had so smartly given in their very faces the admirals were now more eager than ever for their sailing orders it was the eleventh before the expected packet came and when they opened it it was to be astounded with an entire change of plan instead of making a sudden invasion of the darien province they were ordered first to cruise off the spanish coast for intelligence then to capture the plate fleet and finally before receiving their route they were told they must promise to be back in six months in order to serve against the new armada in despair the admirals protested that they could not go cruising or fight a naval action with a fleet of transports and as for promising to be back by a certain day it was but tempting providence they were ready to obey the queen's orders they said but they must have time to disband the troops and reorganize the expedition elizabeth was furious at their perverseness and disloyalty as she was pleased to consider it nor is it possible to say how long the deadlock would have continued 
had not news of a disabled treasure-ship of enormous value lying at puerto rico suddenly tempted the queen into reason it was already the end of the month there was no time to do all that had been undone and with but twenty-seven sail and only two thousand five hundred men they started on the ill-omened voyage the spanish fleet was known to be out and so nervous was the government about ireland that drake in spite of his protests had to open his campaign with a reconnaissance on the coast of spain on his way he was chased by twenty strange sail but he showed them a clean pair of heels and a few days later having ascertained from a frigate of the earl of cumberland's that the spanish fleet was going home he continued his voyage for the canaries drake and baskerville in consequence of the course forced upon them by the queen's instructions had found that it would be necessary to land there to water and refresh the soldiers hawkins who less understood the necessities of a military expedition violently opposed drake's proposal and the result was a painful scene between the two old friends at the council table the soldiers however persuaded them to dine together on hawkins's flagship next day and the old admiral was brought round to his kinsman's view four weeks out therefore the fleet anchored under the guns of las palmas in the grand canary but it was only for drake to get his first hint that the days for his daring raids were over ever since it had been known in spain that he was again in favour philip had been busy reinforcing and fortifying his colonial ports and las palmas had not been forgotten to surprise it there and then might have been possible but drake found the surf too high for a landing and drew off after a three hours search in his barge for a practicable beach baskerville offered to take the place in four days by a regular operation but drake would not wait too much time had already been lost and having watered at another part of the island the voyage was next day continued across the atlantic two days from their rendezvous at guadalupe a gale broke up the fleet but in spite of it drake managed to get all his squadron safely anchored behind st marie gallant thence he proceeded to his well-known anchorage and there next day hawkins joined him prostrate with misfortune a small ship of his squadron had been captured by five spanish frigates bearing for san juan de puerto rico the whole gravity of the disaster at once flashed on drake he divined immediately that the enemy's squadron must be the ships which had been sent to embark the treasure from the disabled galleon and but for the unfortunate straying of the lost tender he knew the whole of them must have fallen into his lap now not only had they escaped but from their prisoners the spaniards would torture the secret of his destination he was for weighing on the spot in pursuit but his colleague had lost his nerve the old admiral was ill and anxious and querulously insisted on first cleaning the ships and getting the big guns up from the holds into their places that the fleet might be ready for anything then in pity of his old friend's condition drake did what he is never recorded to have done before he gave way four days they lay getting the fleet into fighting trim and when at last they sailed from guadalupe to tortola not a trace of the enemy could be seen it was clear they had reached san juan to reinforce and warn the garrison and unless it could be thrown off its guard again drake knew that success was almost impossible then in the hour of need the spirit of his youth came once more strong upon him 
the fleet seemed to grow no more cumbrous in his hand than a privateer's schooner and falling back on the bewildering tactics of his buccaneering days he made it disappear from the seas in vain the spaniards watched for his coming just as twenty years ago his too tiny craft lay lost in the creeks of the darien gulf so now into the still recesses of the virgin islands in roadsteads unknown he had led his whole fleet where none could guess of its existence and there for some days they lay drilling the soldiers and refreshing them ashore while drake in his barge surveyed for an outlet End of section twenty five